0: It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We we intend to give you a very fine program. So just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment, moment.
1: These people were so unafraid of the cops. Who were sparsely distributed through our capital, which hasn't been breached since 1812 when it was burned, the reason they could easily and casually with their cameras on, film themselves throwing things through the walls of our Capitol, our property, going inside the Capitol, sitting in uh, Speaker Pelosi's office, casually take pictures of themselves, have that played on Fox News, they know that they are not in jeopardy because the cops are taking selfies with them, walking them down the steps to make sure they're not hurt, taking care with their bodies, not like they treated Freddie Gray's body, White Americans aren't afraid of the cops. White Americans are never afraid of the cops, even when they're committing insurrection, even when they're engaged in attempting to occupy our capital, to steal the votes of people who look like me, because in their minds, they own this country, they own that capital, they own the cops, the cops work for them, and people like me have no damn right to try to elect a president. Because we don't get to pick the president, they get to pick the president, they own the president, they own the White House, they own this country. And so when you think you own it, you own the place, you ain't afraid of the police because the police are you and the police reflect back to them. We're with you, you're good. We're not gonna hurt you because you're not them. Guarantee you if that was a Black Lives Matter protest in DC, there would already be people shackled, arrested or dead.
2: Hey, what's going on everyone? Welcome to the first 2021 episode of the mic Up podcast. This is an unapologetically black, Gullah Geechee, Southern, ooh, unapologetically Mika podcast. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden, and um, I'm not going to apologize for that unorthodox intro. Um, man, it's been one hell of a week, <laughs> and I haven't recorded podcast content in quite some time. I'm going to be uh, really honest with you all, dating back to even May of 2020, right before the uprisings that took place all across the world, and especially here in South Carolina and Charleston and Columbia, um, man, I, I've, I've just really felt torn and exhausted by white supremacy. Um, I wanted to kick off the first episode of 2020, the first episode of Mic'd Up, with a clip uh, from a black journalist. And this clip from Joy Reid, MSNBC's Joy Reid, to me was was the way to go. Uh, It went viral somewhat last week following the January 6th uh, insurrection, white supremacist, white nationalist, attack on our democracy. And, and you know, what we saw take place last week on Wednesday was honestly, it was like punctuation. Um, and I don't think it's the punctuation at the end of the sentence. I think it's the like something like a comma. Like this is, this is what we're seeing is, is, is part of what's been unfolding for quite some time. We've been told since the Obama administration that No, 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 Uh, this is economic anxiety. But those who look like me, who grew up in communities that look like mine, know very well that what we're seeing is just a continuation of a very, very long story. I was pushed, I guess, to this mic. um, You know, uh, this summer... I was embroiled in a, a local, I guess, scandal, <laughs> controversy, local z celebrities from a failing reality show, uh, members of the boutique-owning MAGA Glitterati, you know, they, they set their sights on not just me, but a, another woman of color, an amazing woman of color here. And, and we were both treated to some of the most vicious white supremacist uh, harassment and embarrassment, or they tried to embarrass us, I... I I believe we emerged victoriously, (laughs) but, you know, that took a lot out of me. Um, Women who look like me, unambiguously black, a woman of size, a woman with these big, brilliant, beautiful black features, African features. It's not easy being here in the South, living, thriving, speaking out, being an activist voice. It's not easy. And so I think that's what took me away from the microphone. And those who do know me know that I I did kind of pivot a little bit. I I I uh, retreated to the to the arms of an amazing enthusiastic crowd on Instagram. <laughs> so a lot of the commentary that would usually be reserved for mic'd up found its way to my IGTV feed and daily a daily digest of current events here in Charleston and 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 on and on and I'd like to think that I helped to encourage folks to be more curious and to seek out perspectives that are unlike their own. I'd like to think that I encouraged and uh cheered people on as they as as they deconstruct a lot of what's fed to us in our local mainstream media, specifically the Post and Courier. Um, and uh, their inability to cover uh, issues of race, equity, and justice aptly, you know, they, they struggle mightily with that. It's reflected in their lack of diversity in their newsroom and, and the curious choices that their editorial staff and leadership have, um, curious choices that they've made over the months specifically, but over the years Believe me, there's a whole other episode, and I believe I did create an episode about the legacy of Thomas Waring and, and how the vestiges of those white supremacist practices are, are still very much present at our current Post and Courier. Um, so hopefully I, I've encouraged some of my followers and listeners to challenge some of what we read and consume local media and not just listen to what I have to say, but to seek out diverse perspectives perspectives of color, perspectives from varying uh, classes of people, people with varying abilities. I really do hope that I've encouraged that. And if you do follow me on social media, specifically Twitter and Instagram, I'm constantly sharing and resharing content from some of our country's most provocative and thoughtful and and intellectually just stunning minds. So, but, but I felt compelled you know, I, I actually woke up at 3.37 a.m. this morning. And I tried to just, you know, lay still and go back to sleep. And I looked at the clock and next thing you know, it was 4 a.m. And I said, Mika, something's telling you to create. And so I felt inspired or, or compelled to to plug up the mic and try this mic'd up thing one more time. <laughs> and I, I I didn't intend on being gone from mic'd up this long but I needed the rest after this summer after uh, the the zealous celebrities here after the George Floyd uprisings that took place on King Street after Harry Griffin a sitting city councilman uh, participating in the coordination of a Proud Boys rally after Corey Whittington attacking black women running for office after Tyler Bessinger the white supremacist whack-a-mole being allowed to reemerge as some sort of now neo-nazi-like I don't know After Nancy Mace beats Joe Cunningham and is allowed to reinvent herself as some sort of virtuous, moderate voice of the Southern GOP, uh, benefiting from a full complement of, uh, I mean, staggeringly, staggeringly, uh, uh, just uh, some really shiny, big old GOP resources. I'm at a loss for words, but, but Nancy Mace... You know, being groomed and fast-tracked by the GOP, she's now re-emerged and she's on every TV screen and, and she's on every uh podcast and she's everywhere reinventing herself and even our posting courier gave her the most warm and squishy post yesterday the front page her white womanhood, her victimhood was right there the front page of the posting courier following one of the darkest days in my lifetime that this country has seen. Following an insurrection, our local media, our local leaders have chosen to continue to uphold white supremacy and ignore the facts. The facts that are the facts that remain are that we have a city, city council, a governing body that refuses to hold Harry Griffin accountable for not just his participation in coordinating a Proud Boys rally in December, but, but being caught on tape and referring to his peers on city council as homophobic slurs and, and much, much more. We're, we're, we're constantly being confronted by media and elected officials who refuse to hold these bad actors accountable for months and months of radicalization, of spewing conspiracies, of being anti-science, anti-mask. We're allowed to just see them ascend and maintain power. What we saw take place in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday is a byproduct of the rhetoric, is a byproduct of a lot of the hate that was allowed to foment over time here locally, we're seeing it manifest in in, in a very vicious and dangerous and, and quite disturbing way. And it's gone great it's gone largely unchecked. The Harry Griffin story, the post and curry refused to write about it for about two weeks. Two weeks a sitting city councilman participating, coordinating, caught on audio, challenging his peers, caught on audio admitting that he was a part of the group organizing a rally that brought the Proud Boys and other white supremacist, white nationalist groups to Charleston, to the doorstep of our city hall, and our local paper refused to write about it. Now we see the likes of Corey Whittington and Tyler take to the streets of D.C. They can't help but implicate themselves, and while they never posted any footage of themselves actually in the Capitol building, they made sure to let you know that they were there. They made sure to let you know that they were at every pivotal moment that we witnessed on television, as we saw our democracy, our government come under siege. And they'll probably face no consequence here because this is the white supremacist, the extremist, the extremist, you know, (laughs) these are the men that are on our, Yes, our city councils, our county councils. These are the men that own businesses, that whose wives own yoga shops and and, and boutiques. And, you know, to live in the South amid this, as a black person, you already know this. They'll probably face no consequence. Not here. And so I was pushed to the mic to, to kind of just comment on what we've seen and to encourage you all to not take what we're seeing lightly and to find a sustainable way to engage with this moment and to, to engage in this fight against white supremacy. I want you to seek out voices, like I just said earlier, that are not like your own, to see a perspective on this that doesn't center whiteness but that actually decolonizes the way we consume news and media I'm a little bit afraid of what's ahead. I'm afraid of what Corey and Tyler and his band of I don't know Malcontent's criminals cuz you know Corey Corey's got quite the history of breaking and entering. <laughs> I'm I'm concerned about what they're coming back to Charleston with. Corey already yesterday Sunday took to YouTube and his other platforms To talk about this next phase, this next wave of violence, and I think here in Charleston we oftentimes like to divorce ourselves from what we see nationally. We like to to quickly uh, make folks uh, subscribe to this notion of lone wolves and this and that, and and put these people and bad actors in silos when when no, it's all connected. As Black and Brown folks were rallying for. Police accountability, white male grievance was that it was able to radicalize and continue to to stew and to create and to coordinate events like what we saw here in Charleston and like what we saw in D.C. And what we'll continue to see at our state capitol at the state house. We've seen it, too. We'll continue to see this. Every time folks have been crying for justice and equity, there's a, there's a reflexive tendency that emerges within these communities. And it's not just white men. I want to be crystal clear. Women like Nancy Mace, who are allowed to peddle conspiracies and disinformation and then enjoy a star turn as the darling of the GOP, You know, what pushed me to this mic was also what we saw take place at the tail end of 2020. Another extrajudicial killing at the hands of police, this time at the hands of Charleston PD. We lost a young man named Jason Cooper. And I saw many of my white followers struggle with whether or not they need to engage in advocating for more accountability or advocating for justice for Jason because the details that the police were willing to leak out were unsavory. This was a quote unquote, or allegedly a domestic violence dispute. And, and what I challenged my followers to, to understand is that when we say Black Lives Matter, we mean the imperfect ones as well. And also, if you've been engaging in this fight and this discourse, you should know that the police don't necessarily get the benefit of the doubt as far as honesty is concerned. We saw that firsthand with the with the Slager shooting of of Walter Scott. You know, he planted evidence and lied in his report and and it wasn't until the cell phone footage was released that we learned the truth. But yet so many white folks are still just mm, apprehensive about Jumping in and, and, and advocating for black lives if they aren't perfect, if they aren't the perfect victim. And so we're still awaiting the uh, the the responses to the FOIA requests made by members of the local media. We're still waiting for dash cam, body cam and 911 calls. We're still waiting for the footage and the calls to be released. So we know what happened. But yet the, the police can hide behind SLED and and other things And avoid accountability. And then I find out about a young man named Jamal Sutherland. I just found out about this on Twitter last night. Jamal Sutherland apparently suffered from mental illness. And he was in the custody of the Al Cannon jail. The sheriff's department. He died in custody. And it's still unclear... As to how or why he's no longer with us. But we do know that he was jailed for simple assault, yet he's dead. And while newly elected Democratic Sheriff Christian Graziano has just been sworn in, literally just sworn in last week, while I can't hang this on her, because God knows she has to unravel a huge mess left by her predecessor, Al Cannon. I will be watching, I will be waiting for more clarity and insight on what happened and why Jamal is no longer with us. We need police accountability. We need to to, to check their power and their scope of influence. We need to challenge why they have a, an ice cream truck why are they allowed to to lead so many recreational activities? Why do they have a summer camp where they put black children in vans and ride them around like criminals, Black kids from impoverished communities? Why is that a fun activity? We need to check police violence. We need to question why the police at the at the capitol, let many of those protesters walk and roam freely, armed protesters, violent, hate-spewing protesters that erected gallows and and set up huge wooden crosses that I, I, I don't know, what were they going to set ablaze that night? I have no clue, but there was so much violent imagery, so much violence being said, so much violence being worn with the anti-Semitic church aimed at uh, the descendants of those who fell prey to or who who were victimized by Nazis in Germany like like it was it was bananas to see so much violence representational violence in the form of t-shirts rhetoric the gallows the the charging of the the state capitol looking for pence uh cl- claiming and shouting that they wanted to hang our vice president and wanted to hurt and and injure and kidnap our government officials so much violence and yet the police just opened some gates some police open the gates and we've seen this Joy already articulated this with the opening clip we've seen how black and brown bodies disabled bodies have been treated by law enforcement when engaged in protests peaceful protest, unarmed protest in DC we don't even have to play that game of what if because we know what if and what we're seeing nationally and the lack of accountability, the lack of the lack of resolve or, or, or <clears throat> political will, <clears throat> pardon me, by our elected officials to hold the sitting president accountable for his hand in this. I'm almost reluctant to even bring him up because he is just a mere symptom of a problem. You'll, you have to remember the timeline, the timeline I believe Dylan Roof committed his atrocity here at Mother Emanuel and then Trump announced his bid for president. Now, and while the two incidents are not connected, literally, they're connected in terms of what's been stewing, what's been fomenting for years coincides with the election of the first black president of the United States. This white grievance that's often touted as economic anxiety. We started to see this radicalization of white men specifically, but white women as well. So I'm reluctant to even like hang a lot of this on the president, even though we know last week he was definitely responsible for the rallying cry, but he was not alone. He was just the biggest voice. I mentioned Tyler and Corey and Harry Griffin and countless others who engage in this type of rhetoric. Nancy Mace, who who spread these lies, who worked with the president, who loved the president, who championed the president's message. He had his own mini megaphones shouting for months, for years. And we keep keep letting these hate mongers reinvent themselves. I remember when Tyler, following the Charlottesville uh, tragedy, Tyler Bessinger and Shakem two two uh, right-leaning, one black, one white, were able to 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 appear on PBS NewsHour and in countless pub- publications, trying to show you some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, some sort of bro, uh, peace rally. Two people who traffic in white supremacy. Yes, even a black man can be anti-black, even a a black person can be, can be led astray. And we saw them be hailed because Tyler is really good. He's a really good speaker. He tricks people because he doesn't sound like a toothless thug, but he was able to sit there shoulder to shoulder and say that, no, we're bigger than this in Charleston. We don't want hate at the same time, (laughs) literally calling for hate, calling for violence here in Charleston and in South Carolina. He was, I thought he was sued out of oblivion a couple of years ago for what he did with that black child, but no, he was able to reinvent himself, come up with a whole new name and some new branding, but the same old white supremacy and it goes unchecked. And we continue to treat these people as local fixtures and, and just uh, conservatives or liberals. No, these are hate mongers. They're not cogent political people they they're not fixtures they they're not students of anything other than hate they've been radicalized online and on apps like parlor which are, is no longer a thing shout out to amazon web services um but they they were active on parlor 4chan in these disgusting facebook groups that have been disabled on twitter on signal you know it it just it just Angers me so much that I wanted to hop on and and record some of my thoughts. And as I as I continue to think through what the what the content will look like moving forward for Miked Up and, and for other projects, I just really wanted you all to know what I was thinking, I guess, and to understand that we're at a pivotal point in our history, in our nation's history, and in and at lo- and in local history. We're at a pivotal point where we have to do something. And clicking and liking and sharing content is not enough, it's no longer enough. Sending black activists Venmos is no longer enough. We have to do something. We have to expose the nation- white nationalists next door. We have to expose these people who are able to traffic in this type of hate and violence. We have to start looking at what our sons and daughters are consuming online and start challenging that and start and start reorienting their focus. We have to start challenging. that I'm speaking directly to white listeners, white followers. This this cannot stop unless white political will challenges that we should not have a sitting city council person who was allowed to allow who was aligning himself with the Proud Boys one day caught on audio multiple times espousing some of the most hateful rhetoric about his peers and about our city and then turn around put on a suit and tie and then whoa magic trick he's different that shouldn't be allowed to happen how do we hold these people accountable i think it requires thoughtful political education i think it requires a divestment from white supremacy i think it requires following the lead of marginalized communities, immigrant community leadership, black leadership, Gullah Geechee leadership. I wrote down three, well, I guess a phrase that I think encapsulates what I thought this episode would be about, which is press, police violence, and insurrection. Our local press inability to cover these stories in real time, which leads to a a type of apathy and and, and, and it it skews the way people internalize what's going on when they refuse to report honestly on what's happening in real time, when they refuse for two weeks to report about a sitting elected official coordinating with the Proud Boys and other white nationalist groups, when they refuse to report on the violence that was visited upon uh, Majority Whip Clyburn and his staff, where they would give it a, a sliver of a headline above an old shrimp trawler story on Saturday. But on Sunday, they're, they're arguably their highest circulated edition of the paper. They rather center white victimhood, white woman victimhood and white woman white womanhood, as opposed to the real issue, which is hate, white supremacist violence and terrorism right here on American soil. Police, the the killing of Jason Cooper, the death of Jamal Sutherland and the lack of accountability, the lack of transparency, the lack of, 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 of evidence that would justify why these men are no longer with us. Insurrection these white dudes that look like the guys we went to high school with look like the guys that we would see waiting for their car to be finished at Gerald's or, you know, the guy next door. You all know these guys. You all seen them. Take a bus, fly up to D.C. and participate. We've normalized this type of hate here. I I would venture to say the Dental and Roof now is thought about differently here. That he's some kind of hero. I'm waiting for that shoe to drop because it's almost inevitable. And you might think that I'm being reckless in my speculation. I'm, I assure you, my lived experience has led me to say what I just said. I, I, I'm waiting for the moment where Dylan Roof is looked at as a hero. Because I know that that type of rhetoric exists especially with Mother Emmanuel in the crosshairs of people like Dylan Roof. There was a reason why he chose that church with that specific history. Shout out Denmark VC. So I'm going to end this episode, my first, I guess, foray into 2021. As far as content is concerned, I'm going to end it with a great take from Jelani Cobb, an amazing journalist that I encourage you all to read more in The New Yorker. Find him wherever you can. He's on Twitter. He's on Frontline. He's everywhere. Um, Jelani Cobb is amazing. Joy, Joy and Reed is amazing as well. You have Tiffany Cross, who has a new show on MSNBC. Those, those are just like the more accessible ones, but there are other journalists who, who don't have shows on mainstream media or on liberal news networks like uh, Farah Shadea. There are intellectuals and scholars like Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, um, uh, Carol Anderson, author of White Rage and One Person, No Vote, uh, Sadia Hartman, uh, an author, uh, shoot even read the perspective in the the fiction of a Toni Morrison or the poetry of a June Johnson I can go on and on but I, I I encourage you all to please retreat to black scholarship to indigenous scholarship to latinx scholarship to the commentary of folks who do not look like you listen to cogent voices Don't fall into the trap that is a comment section. Don't get caught up in even what I have to say on Instagram. Seek, use that library card, access those newspapers all across the country, read other perspectives, understand that what may not be reported here is being reported in other places like Missouri or Detroit or Philadelphia or Atlanta be intellectually curious, remain intellectually curious, de-center whiteness, decolonize the way you consume media. If you like Morning Joe, I'm not a I'm not a big Morning Joe fan. But maybe he has a black guest. Maybe Eddie Glaude is on there. Read an Eddie Glaude book. You know? Read other perspectives other than white, male, cisgendered voices. Read more queer voices. It's time to really lean into the political education and to really get activated, find find safe and sustainable ways to engage in this fight. Because I assure you, Corey, Tyler, Nancy have all come back to the low country. They will come back to the low country with an arsenal of misinformation, violence, and white supremacist beliefs and values that'll be disguised in something else. And we have to remain vigilant. And we have to remain activated. And we will, know, we will not progress as a community if white people do not start listening to people of color and start moving. To my Gullah Geechee people, y'all stay black. Everyone else, take care of yourself. And do something, white people. Do something. Jelani, speaking of this and this idea that we keep hearing about, uh, this was such a surprise and no one saw this coming. You, in September, wrote about the possibility of election-related violence associated with Trump, and you compared it to, you know, the, the weather forecast, that all the elements were there for a hurricane. It was just a matter of if they all lined up in the right way, which, sadly, they did. What do you say to those who still believe this was just a sort of once-in-a-moment time. You know, this is a once-in-every-500-year kind of flood situation rather than a predictable hurricane.
0: Yeah, I wrote about that in September, and I was late, quite frankly. I could have written that piece in June or March. We could have written that piece in November of 2016. You know, all of these elements were easily and readily discernible And, you know, one of the, the, I think, fundamental things, uh, the reason I made the weather forecast comparison is that the United States is consistently impaired by its its inability to reckon with its own history. And so, or if we do recognize history, we think of it as something that is uh, hermetically sealed in the past. Like, this just happened, and what an interesting fact. But we're actually, as you know, when historians talk about the past. They're looking at the conditions that led to those kinds of uh, situations happening, and wondering if those conditions would yield the similar result uh, in different times. And so, you know, to the point that Adam was making, the idea that you have to remove people who are representatives of you know, kind of the multiracial aspect of American democracy, and that that is illegitimate, is fundamental. It, it's, it's almost mechanical. Uh, and so if you're looking at the number of times that this has happened previously, if you even remember, not going that far back into history, if you even remember 1994, when Timothy McVeigh destroyed, obliterated the Alfred Murrah office building in Oklahoma City, and he attacked the federal government because he believed it was too friendly to the interests of Black people. You know, that was his motivation. You can kind of find those kinds of dynamics again and again and again. And so it wasn't really clairvoyance or really even a great deal of insight that to say that it's likely that these situations are likely to generate political violence. It's literally just reading just looking at what has happened
2: right.